the 7th of November, 2020. I'm so honored and so glad to be here with everybody. It's just a beautiful day here in Arizona. I hope you're having a beautiful day where you are too. Um, we're going to finish up today, probably, chapter four, which is the chapter entitled We Agnostics. And in the chapter, We Agnostics, we are studying about a relationship between ourselves and a higher power. And we have come to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. And notice that the word sanity is used rather than restore us to abstinence or restore us to sobriety or whatever. And the word sanity is much more open-ended. The word sanity has a much higher ceiling than the word sobriety or the word um, uh, abstinence. So we have this word sanity because we want the program to apply unilaterally throughout our lives, not just to our eating, but throughout every area of our lives. Because for all of us, the, the disease of compulsive overeating didn't just affect our food and our weight. It didn't just affect our waistline or how much we weighed or whatever. It affected everything. And as the um, disease putrefies and as the disease ransacks, vandalizes and commits arson to our relationships and it commits, it commits this, this crime, this vagary against our souls, we feel horrible. We start to develop this existential feeling of hopelessness. We start to develop this existential feeling that we're ugly, that we're unacceptable, that we're bad, that we're defective. This is not what God had intended when God created us. He intended us to be happy, joyous, and free. Not to have an over-exuberant, uh, opinion of ourselves, but as we look at ourselves in the disease and we look in the mirror or we catch a glimpse of ourselves in a store window or we go to buy clothes or we go to the doctor, these can be very traumatic events in our life because there never seems to be a way of going to a doctor or going to buy clothes or experiencing life or seeing ourselves in a picture that is pleasurable, that is joyful, and we see the people around us that take great joy in going to buy a new garment, going to buy something because there's a wedding coming up or there's a special event, a graduation or a bar mitzvah or a confirmation or whatever that may be, a communion, first communion, whatever that may be for us as individuals, we have been robbed of the ability to look at these things with anticipation. Instead, so many times we look at these things with dread. We look at these things with fear. We look at these things with all sorts of negative emotion. And the reason is we don't look the way we want to look. We don't look the way we think we should look. And we certainly don't feel the way we feel, the way we think we should feel. And so we look around us and we start to compare. And the shortest distance between me and unhappiness is through the shortcut of comparison. 
And when we come in and the food is down, and we are told we're going to feel better. Oh, do we feel better? Wow, 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 wow. We feel anger better. We feel fear better. We feel jealousy better, lust better. All these various things, crushes on girls for me, whatever. But the bottom line is we feel all these things much, much better. And these feelings as they burst to the surface are insisting in my brain that I go eat a Butterfinger bar. Now, why a Butterfinger bar? Because that Butterfinger bar is gonna give me that sense of ease and comfort that comes instantly by eating it. Dr. Silkworth calls that feeling the effect. And that effect is that sense of ease and comfort that comes when? It comes instantly. And we love instant, don't we? As compulsive overeaters, we're rather impatient most of the time. And we love that instant, that instant feeling that we're okay. The only problem is that feeling doesn't last very long. It only lasts with food for about eight, nine seconds for me. I don't know how it is for you. At least with, with drugs and alcohol, they can stay drunk or stay high quite a bit longer than that. But with food, the feeling is really only there for a very fleeting period of time. And then what happens is the physical allergy starts to manifest because the food is inside of us. And once that food is inside of us, we find it impossible to stop. And so here is the food doing something for me, giving me that sense of ease and comfort. And now it's doing something to me. It's ransacking my waistline. It's making me sick. It's driving me to the hospital. It's, it's, it's driving me to illnesses. And I have had skeletal, muscular, digestive, all sorts of problems because of this disease. I remember being in a hospital in Skokie, Illinois in 1981. And I had been in OA for a while, but I was not taking the pro, not 1981, it was actually, I think it was 82, but it doesn't matter. And I had cellulitis and staph infections and they came into my room. And what they did was they gave me one of these hospital gowns to put on. And I weighed in at that hospital at 513 pounds. And I had a body that was enormous. And they gave me this little hospital gown I looked like a naked hippopotamus with a tie, this faded blue, horrible tie. And there I was. And they brought people up from the shop. They brought people up from the shop to secure the bed because hospital beds were on wheels. And when I was on this bed, if I would get off to go to the bathroom and then get back on, the bed would roll. So they had to get guys from the shop to secure the bed. And I also had to have guys come up from the labor and delivery section of the hospital because my legs had to be elevated because I had such severe swelling in my lower legs called edema. And that edema was so profuse, I didn't have hair on my legs anymore. And I had dime and penny size ulcers in the back of my calves of my legs and I have permanent scarring there to this day. And if you ever see me wearing shorts, which I wear all, almost every day here in Arizona, unless I'm going somewhere, if you ever see me wearing shorts, I always try to get long socks 
so I can cover them up. But I have discoloration to this day on my lower legs and scarring from where those ulcers were. And they came up to my room, it was a Tuesday, and they said, your fever is 104. If it gets up to 108, you're gonna die. Now, cellulitis and staph infection are bacterial. However, the antibiotics that they were throwing at it were not effective at first. And then I remember this like it was, like it was five minutes ago, there was a nurse that came into my room. I call her the Malcha Chaya, the Malcha Chai, the angel of life. She took my temperature that night and uh, she said, you're at a hundred, a hundred and point three or a hundred and point whatever, I, like a radio station, like I was at a hundred and point three, you know, FM or something. But anyway, my fever was going down because the new antibiotic that they were pumping into me was starting to take effect. Now, the reason that I'm sharing this with you is not to recant my story. The reason I'm sharing this with you is you have your own hell. You have your own reason why you're here. And it's not a very pretty picture. Nobody gets in here on a roll. Um, my friend Larry Kay likes to say, nobody comes to OA on a roll. Hang on one second. No matter what the damn temperature is here, the Fakakta allergies seem to just go around the calendar. And whether I'm home in Chicago or I'm here or I lived in Eugene, Oregon for nine years, I'm always blowing my nose. So I'm sorry about that. But anyway, getting back to it, um, this is part of my story. But I was to gain an enormous amount of weight after this incident. So when we come in here, we usually, not always, we usually have this anger at God. We have this chip on our shoulder. Some of us are very religious people. And I remember going to meetings back in Chicago at this time. And there was a woman there. I won't mention her name because she may still be alive. I don't know. But she offended a lot of people. And she would disparage her religion. And she would say, you know, things about her religion that were horrible. And uh, it was just very insulting to a lot of people. This comes from, this usually comes, not always, this usually comes from, we are in pain, we are suffering. And so we turn to this God, or we turn to this deity, be it Mother Nature, be it Lake Michigan, be it whatever it may be for you, it doesn't matter. It does not have to be a religious deity. I'm just recanting what I've experienced. It, there's no definition here of what God needs to be. It's God as you perceive it, as you understand God. And we look at this God and through our prayers and through the tears in our eyes, we're wondering where in the heck were you, God? Why didn't you knock the food out of my mouth? And what we have to come to understand is God will do for me what I cannot do for myself but he will not do what I can do for myself. See, that's a big difference. That's a big, big difference. So it is up to me to take that action and knock the food out of my mouth. And some say, yes, I'm powerless over food. How can you expect me to do that? Yes, you are powerless, but you're not helpless. You're not helpless. You have free will 
And you can use that free will to keep the food down and use the fellowship, the tools at first until the steps get rolling and you start to have that spiritual awakening. So what is an agnostic? So we've said, here's what happens to our relationship with God. And some of us, we've lost loved ones or business dealings didn't quite go the way we wanted them to, or we didn't win Powerball, or you know, we didn't, we, we didn't get to be the quarterback on the Bears or the, or the first baseman for the Cubs or whatever it is. We didn't get the boy or the girl that we wanted. And we blame God. Now it's time to establish a relationship with a higher power. And on page 45 of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous is the thesis line of the book. It says very simply, the main object of this book is to help you find a power greater than yourself, which will solve your problem. Now, if that's going to be the main object of the book, it better, better, better be the main object of my life. And so the main object of my life is to help me find a power greater than myself, which will solve my problem. Page 47 of the big book says, do you believe or are you willing, even willing to believe that there is a power greater than yourself? Do you believe that there's a power greater than yourself? Or are you willing to believe that there is a power greater than yourself? That's all that's required. There is no understanding of God that is required here. I get this call all the time. I'm sponsoring so-and-so or I'm so-and-so and I don't quite understand God. And that's okay. Because if God were easily understandable by me, he probably or she probably or it probably wouldn't be adequate enough to help me. Here's what I understand about God. It doesn't have to be my God. It doesn't have to be your God. I do not have to be a fly on the wall for the conversation on Mount Sinai between Moses and God. I don't have to be a fly on the wall for any conversations that God had. The only thing I have a resentment of is that damn Noah, dumbest Jew boy I ever met in my life. You mean to tell me he couldn't swat the two damn mosquitoes on the ark? The damn mosquitoes are right there clinging to the wall. Take a newspaper or take your sandal and kill the damn things. I don't know what Noah was thinking, why he didn't kill the damn mosquitoes. I certainly don't understand that one. I don't know what he was thinking. Anyway, but the bottom line is, here's what I know about God. There is one, and it's not me. There is one, and it's not me. That's all I need to know. God is a power greater than myself. Not equal to, not less than, greater than myself. So the title of the chapter, We Agnostics. What is an agnostic? A believer believes that there is a God. Uh, uh, atheists believe that there is no religious deity. An agnostic, ad means without, gnostic means knowledge. Agnostic, without knowledge. And so we look at that and the title does not say those agnostics to the agnostic. 
a it, it doesn't say that it says we agnostic because all of us or most of us i shouldn't use the word all most of us have areas of our life where we are agnostic i'll give you the classic example most of us i don't know about all of us most of us can believe that god created babies and puppies and flowers and forests and trees and oceans and we look at that in a, in a starlit night and we say it certainly wasn't man that created this so we're all on the same page there usually but when it comes to our eating disorder we're not quite sure that god is going to intervene on our behalf and yet if he's invited to or she's invited to or it's invited to it's a slam dunk that you will get relief so agnostic means i just don't have enough information i just don't have enough information ag means without gnostic means knowledge i just don't have enough knowledge will god help me with my eating disorder yes when i was in the car going home from the eye doctor i thought i was going to just get a new prescription for glasses because the last doctor said no your cataracts you've got about two three more years this is one year and the doctor is telling me they could probably come out right now so that was like a curveball and i was chatting back and forth with another person that lives on the east coast and we were just having fun with one another that was fine but when i when it when that quieted down i was in deep prayer and i i i feel very confident i'm going to be just fine this is a very routine thing this is not anything that's a big deal i'm going to be fine and i'm going to be very happy that i did this and it's all going to be okay i'm a little a little freaky about the money part of it because some of the upgrades are like 3000 and i some of the upgrades are like 5000 and i but the surgeon has to determine what i can have and what's appropriate for my situation it'll all be okay i just i just have to trust you know i just have to trust so anyway let's get to page 54 and there is a paragraph hence we saw it is the bottom paragraph on page 54 and that's where we're going to pick up this morning hence we saw that reason isn't everything neither is reason as most of us use it entirely dependable and if we look at our lives today before we read another word look at our lives today how many of you a year ago knew what corona was i bet none of you how many of you a year ago would have bet that there'd be a half, not even half a baseball season this year and that the football teams would be playing in empty stadiums and the baseball teams would be playing in empty stadiums and live performances of plays and symphonies and operas and would be a non-entity at this point how many of you saw that coming and there are so many things that we just cannot see and if you notice something that not a lot of sponsors will point out notice that the word reason in this paragraph has a small r notice that in other paragraphs he uses a capital r so let's take a look at that and if you are a sponsor point that out 
that in the other paragraphs where he's talking about reason, the God of reason, page 53, the page before in the second to the left paragraph, he capitalizes reason because it becomes that higher power to so many of us. And it's worth pointing out that by this time in the book, he's using a small R to start with reason. The reason being, I, I didn't use that word deliberately, but it's funny. The reason being is by this time, we need to be convinced, if we're not, we're in trouble, that your reasoning, your will, your common sense, whatever it is you want to term it, is not gonna be adequate to fend off this disease. I can only see one, two, three, four, five, six of you at a time, and there's almost a hundred of you, there's 70 of you. I can only see six of you, but I would be willing to bet, and there's not one of you that I've ever had a conversation with that convinced me otherwise. I would bet that if I got to know each and every one of you, I would be astounded at the things that's, that you guys have accomplished. You guys have accomplished unbelievable things. Some of you are very creative. Some of you are very artistic. Some of you are very business oriented or you're a doctor or you're a nurse or whatever it is that you are, or you're a social worker or, or a lawyer, whatever that, it doesn't matter. You're a housewife or a team, whatever it is, doesn't matter. I would be absolutely knocked on my can by the things that you've done. And sometimes that success gets in our way, doesn't it? Because like Fred in chapter three, Fred was a partner in a well-known accounting firm. He had a great family, business was great, everything was, was going along good, yet he was an alcoholic. He ended up so drunk, he didn't know where he was. He wandered around, and, and the taxi cab was taking him here and taking him there. He didn't know what, he didn't know if he was foot or horseback. You are not gonna be able to control the amount of food you eat once you start eating it because of a physical allergy. And you are not gonna be able to reason yourself away from eating foods that you shouldn't be eating now that you want to because you have an illness of the mind and you have an illness of the body. So the, the capital letter R is now a small lowercase r because by this time, sponsors make note of this, by this time we should be convinced that the God of reason is inadequate to fend off this disease. It's not going to happen. So let's go to the top of 55, though it emanate from our best minds. What about people who prove that man could never fly? Yet we had been seeing another kind of flight, a spiritual liberation from this world. People who rose above their problems. They said, God made these things possible and we only smiled. We have seen spiritual release, but like to tell ourselves it wasn't true. Let me assure you of something. I was having a conversation with the eye doctor yesterday and she's this thin little thing. She's probably no older than 30, 35 tops. And she said to me, yeah, 
all human beings will develop cataracts, all human beings. It's just at what age will they develop them and will they live long enough to reach that age? Okay, fine. When we look at this paragraph and we see that these other people are recovering, this is for when we first come in, at least for me. I'll talk about me because I can't talk about you. I looked at these people and what is my ego telling me? My ego is telling me that I'm different, right? The ego has three jobs. Make me right, make me feel good right now and make me different from everybody around me. Make me different. That's what the ego does. Ever notice the, you ever notice the normal people? If we passed out copies of the newspaper, everybody's into their new, but the compulsive overeater or the alcoholic or the drug addict, they're kind of looking around to see where they got screwed. How come my newspaper doesn't have a sport? Oh, there it is. How come my newspaper doesn't have an inner? Oh, there it is. And we, we look around to see where things are different. That's part of who we are. And that's the, that's the manifestation of ego. And we hear these stories from people that are recovering and immediately what I did was, but they're not as fat as me. I looked around and I said, oh, but they're not as young as me. I was 24 years old when I came in. Now I'm 66, I'm an old cocker. But the bottom line is, is that when I looked around that meeting on February the 2nd, 1979, what I saw was very much like what I see here. People that were 300 pounds, 400 pounds thinner than me, and people that were 30, 40 years older than me. Not all of you. I mean, I mean obviously some of you are, are not in that category. But the bottom line is, is that what I saw was something that allowed my ego to say, yes, but. Yes, but they're young. Yes, but they have money. Yes, but they've had sex. Yes, but they've held hands with a girl or a boy or whatever it was. And I used to go to these meetings and I'd see Cadillacs and Lincoln Continentals and, and Chrysler Imperials. This was in the days way before Mercedes and all that. That was unheard of in those days. The, the top cars were Cadillac and Lincoln and Chrysler Imperial. The Mercedes and that was not, it wasn't here yet. Wasn't, that, was, that was yet to come. And I said, crap, if I had a Cadillac Fleetwood, I wouldn't have a care in the world. And yet the Cadillac Fleetwood was parked right outside the meeting room. I used to go to meetings with a guy who had 24 McDonald's franchises, 24 McDonald's. And some of his franchises were the busiest franchises anywhere. And he drove a Rolls Royce and he's dead. And he's dead a long time, long time. And this disease is what cut him down. So we look at this and we say, we like to tell ourselves it wasn't true. We'd like to say, oh, God help them. They're so fortunate. They're so wonderful. They're so fantastic, but that's not gonna apply to me because I'm less than them or I'm greater than them. 
in this disease, I can look up at you and think, oh man, you're the greatest. I wish I was like you. Will you take care of me? Or I can look down at you. You're stupid. You're an idiot. You're a moron. And both of those perspectives are unhealthy for me. And now the, now the recovery, not the disease. Ooh, I almost said the disease. Now the recovery lets me be a bozo on the bus. I can look at you. I don't have to look up at you. I don't have to look down at you. I can be one of many. And that's why if you're new, you're going to hear this expression in OA, just be another bozo on the bus. Just be another bozo on the bus. And that's where this expression emanates from is this inability that we often have in the disease of looking up at people or looking down at people. Now we can look at people and I can appreciate whether you are tall or short or black or white or gay or straight or Jewish or Catholic or Protestant or atheist or whatever it is you are, you bring value and we are better that you're here. One of the things you'll hear me say in conference, one of the things I'll, I will always get negative feedback on it is almost always when I'm up at the podium, I will say we have failed the black community. We have failed the African-American community. We have failed the Hispanic community. We have failed the Native American community. We have failed many of the communities because when I go to a convention, be it in Newark, be it in LA, whatever it is, these are large metropolitan areas. And you'll go to a convention and there'll be 1200 people and there'll be seven or eight people of color. That's not their failing, that's our failing. And we will be stronger, we will be better, we will be healthier when we can find a way to connect with these various aforementioned communities. Don't fear the differences, embrace the differences, embrace the differences. It doesn't matter how they're different. It doesn't matter why they're different. All that matters is our tapestry, our chain, our circle is stronger when we are inclusive rather than exclusive. And I'm not saying we're exclusive. All I'm saying is we haven't done the adequate job. So that may be something to think about as you go about your week and you go about your business. Page 55, actually near the top of the page, actually we were fooling ourselves for deep down in every man, woman, and child is the fundamental idea of God. We have that idea. We have an idea that there is a power greater than ourselves. Why do you think some of the types of vacations are as popular as they are? maybe camping or fishing or going to the outdoors or something. I live in Arizona and Arizona, the number one industry here is tourism. Why do you think, why do you think all these places? I live along a place called Resort Row. I live along where it's one hotel after the other, one you know, resort after the other, whatever that may be. And I live along Resort Row and there's a lot of these places ain't coming back. They can't make it, especially by now. This is November. 
This is when the snowbirds, you know, everything is supposed to be crowded now. Everything is supposed to be packed now. And it's not. It's not. But in each and every one of us, why do people come here? They come here to marvel at the beauty that is Arizona. And they know that this is not man-made. At some level, even if they're atheists, they have to know that Mother Nature, who created these sandstone formations and the mountains and that created the, the Grand Canyon and created all these various things. I lived in Oregon for nine years. Wow, that place is gorgeous. Oregon, it rains a lot, but man, the payoff to that rain is the forestation and the foliage and the pure wonderment of being in a primeval forest. It's unbelievable. Take your breath away. I lived in Chicago. That has its own beauty. Illinois in and of itself is kind of, is kind of butt ugly, but there's nice parts to it. Um, but the bottom line is, sorry, Nancy. But the bottom line is, is that there's so much beauty in our world. There's so much, so much wonderment in our world that we have this fundamental idea, most of us do, that it is a power greater than ourselves that created it. Let's continue. It may be obscured by calamity, by pomp, by worship of other things, money, sex, food, gambling, whatever that is. But in some form or other, it is there. For faith in a power, capitalized, greater than ourselves, and miraculous demonstrations of that power in human lives are facts as old as man himself. And what is the greatest example I can point to? The greatest example that I can point to are the people who have gone before me and have worked this program and have not only found recovery, but they have found great joy in their release from the food. See, if being in recovery made me miserable, if being without the food made me absolutely miserable, I don't want that. I Just kill me now. If I'm going to be in the food or not in the food and I'm going to be miserable either way, that I don't need. But it's the joy of living that these people have that have been relieved of their desire to compulsively eat. That is the promise. It isn't just that they're thinner. It isn't just that they're more normal weight, if you're anorexic or bulimic or what have you. It is that they are happy in their release. So we go back to that word sanity that I first introduced. I'm not saying I'm sane, but I'm saying my reactions are more sane than they were. When I was first presented with this option yesterday of the cataract surgery, and I'm looking at how much out of pocket this is going to cost me, my first reaction is, oh my God, I don't have that kind of money. I don't want to spend that kind of money. I don't have it. What the hell am I going to do? I'm screwed. God, I'm going to go get some Twinkies and then I'm going to go get pizza. And then I settled down. I, I, I made a call and I was texting with another person in OA that lives on the East Coast. And you know what came to me? It just came to me. This is going to be okay. This is going to be okay. Whereas my reaction would have been, the world is coming to an end. Chicken little, the sky is falling. The sky is falling. 
I didn't have to run around like Chicken Little. I didn't have to run around from convenience store to convenience store, from restaurant to drive-through, from drive-through to restaurant. I didn't have to do that. And the urge to do that was not there. That's not me, ladies and gentlemen. That's God. My first reaction is, F it, I'm going to eat. As long as I'm going to go bankrupt because of cataract surgery, hell with this, I'm going to eat my head off and die. That's how my brain works. I'm an addict. Let's continue. We finally saw that faith in some kind of God was a part of our makeup just as much as the feeling we have for a friend. I love conventions and retreats of OA, and I've been to them all over the world. I didn't get to Dublin yet. Bought my tickets twice, never got to Dublin, Ireland. I hope to go there one day. I hope they'll have me. But I bought my tickets to Dublin twice and still haven't been there. But the bottom line is, is that that feeling for a friend is beautiful. And one of the things that is so beautiful about this program, this way of life, is I often am meeting people at the airport that I've never seen before. Maybe they've never seen me either. And I'm going into their town and I'm going to do a retreat or a convention. And they meet me at the airport and usually they'll take me out to dinner if it's late or depending upon what time it is or whatever. And we'll get to chatting in the car. It's usually the same kind of conversation. But there is something about the language of the heart. There is something about this fellowship, this way of life, where there is a commonality. So that by the time they take me back to the airport on Sunday evening, we are old and fast friends. All the retreat is, is Friday night, Saturday all day, and Sunday till noon. And I'm usually gone. But by the time I leave, I've made friends. I have phone numbers in my phone and emails in my phone and texts in my phone from people that I didn't know two days ago. And many, many of those people, whether it was one year ago, five years ago, or 15 years ago, we still are friends. Some not, some have dropped off, I dropped off, they dropped off, whatever. But a lot of them, we are still in communicado to this day. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Let's continue. Sometimes we had a search, I'm on page 55, middle paragraph, middle of the paragraph. Sometimes we had a search fearlessly, but he was there. That he was as much a fact as we were. We found the great reality deep down within us. And the last analysis, it was only there that he may be found. It was so with us. The great reality is, is that I can't live without a relationship with a power greater than myself. I'm going to say that again because it's very important. If you are a sponsor or you are being sponsored, take note of this. I am not going to recover without a relationship with a power greater than myself. It's not going to happen. Not going to happen. Whatever that perception of mine is of what that higher power is or where that power is, that's all good but I am not going to recover with an adversarial relationship 
with a power greater than myself. Very important. Page 55, near the bottom. We can only clear the ground a bit if our testimony helps sweep away prejudice, enables you to think honestly, encourages you to search diligently within yourself. Then if you wish, you can join us on the broad highway, capitalized, power greater than myself. With this attitude, you cannot fail. The consciousness of your belief is sure to come to you. What attitude? What, how can you not fail? If you have this attitude of sweeping away prejudice, sweep away prejudice means you sweep away preconceived notions how God's going to screw you and God's going to screw you over because when you were nine, somebody died or your dog ran away or your whatever, or maybe there was something very impactful. Maybe your parents divorced and your life was shattered, maybe whatever. But if we can sweep away prejudice about God, and for me, I have to understand that God didn't put a bunch of robots on earth with only good. He put people with free will and some people use their will to do this and some people use their will to do that. I'm reticent to use the words good or bad because good and bad depend on time and vantage point. We can all agree that the Holocaust was bad. We can all agree that racial prejudice is bad. We can all agree that two and two is four. We can all agree on those things. But we're talking about other things that affect us. I don't know why certain things happen, and I never will know why. What I do know is that often God is crying right with you. As you face those losses, as you face those injustices, God sat and cried with you. <laughs> and so I'm being called upon to establish and maintain and grow a relationship to grow a relationship with that power that is greater than myself. I'm being called upon to do that. Why? Because I'm not going to recover without it. It's that simple. Is this the hill you want to die on? Are you so mad at God that you are going to say, no, God, I am not going to pray and I am not going to establish a relationship with you. I'd rather just die. Really? Really, this is the hill you want to die on because that's the choice. It's a 12-step program, not an 11-step program. And everything that we're going to build is built upon this relationship with a power greater than myself that I choose to call God. And you can choose to call it anything you want. Thank you, Karen. You can choose to call it anything you want. But without it, recovery is going to be out of reach. Redefine that higher power. Do what you need to do. If you need the help of a sponsor, they will help you. If you need the help of a clergyman, they will help you. If you need the help of a whatever, of a, of a cat or a dog, they will help you. But let's change something in the way we're looking at God. Let's change something if your relationship is not working, because this is not a dress rehearsal. This is it. I don't care if you're eight or 80. 
I don't care if you're an anorexic or a compulsive overeater. Let's start living now. Let's maximize. Most of the people, most of the, of the people that I knew through my father, not my mother, but my father, most of the people were Holocaust survivors and they had the tattoos on the outside of their left arm. And they had seen the worst of humanity. The Holocaust was the greatest crime against humanity ever perpetrated in the history of mankind. Without doubt, it is the greatest crime ever perpetrated. And they had witnessed it and survived it. And what did they tell me as a child? They would grab my face like this and they would smush my cheeks together and they would kiss me and say, live until you die. And I thought living until I die means I eat as many Almond Joy bars as I can possibly eat and that's living. No, it's not. Maria, there's somebody on you. No, that's not living. Now I can honestly look you in the face and say, through the grace of God and the fellowship of this program and the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, I am living my life to its fullest. Yes, I have challenges. Yes, I wish there were some things that were different. Yes, I want to win the lottery and retire. And yes, I would like to have a wife. And yes, there's my daughter doesn't speak. There's whole things I wish were different. That's part of the human condition. But I'm certain that whatever comes, whether I die tonight or I die in years from now, God is going to help me through all of it. Let's continue. Sweep away prejudice we talked about, enables you to think honestly, encourages you to search diligently within yourself. If you search diligently within yourself, you probably want to give recovery a chance. Is your way working? Is your way really working? If it's not, some changes are in order. If you wish, you can join us on the broad highway with this attitude, you cannot fail. The consciousness of your belief is sure to come to you. Bottom of 55. In this book, you will read the experience of a man who thought he was an atheist. We're gonna talk about Fitz Mayo. And Maria, we're gonna run a little over probably on the Q&A, but I'll do my best. His okay. story is so interesting that some of it should be told now. His change of heart was dramatic, convincing, and moving. Fitz Mayo, was a friend to Bill Wilson, and he was the second guy that got sober in the New York groups. And he was John Henry Fitzhugh Mayo, and he was a minister's son. And he suffered terribly from an inferiority complex. And his inferiority complex was made worse by the fact that he was so frail physically, so weak, so underweight physically, that during World War I, he was not accepted into the army. He was actually accepted, but the acceptance date was two days before the armistice. So once the armistice was, the armistice was the peace between uh, Germany and the United States and England and all that during World War I. So he was never in the army. And then when he went to go in the army in World War II, after he had come in and gotten sober, 
because World War II didn't really break out till for Americans until December of 1941, he was told that he had cancer and he died in 1943. But his wife was named Elizabeth and Elizabeth and Lois and Fitz and Bill were very, very good friends. And they leaned on each other quite a bit and they would visit back and forth. Fitz was from Maryland, but he came to Towns Hospital in 1937 to get dried out. And his good friend, Jimmy Burwell and him got sober together in the New York groups. And Fitz wanted a Christian book for the AA book. He wanted Christian doctrine. Doctrine. He wanted a Christian book with, with Bible verses and Bible quotations. And his dear friend, Jimmy was an atheist and the fight was on and Bill had a mediate and Bill was, you know, scribing the book and, 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 the, and Hank and Bill convinced uh, Fitz that it needs to be a non-Christian book, that it needs to be a book that is God as you understand God. And, and Fitz was, a, was his sister Agnes uh, loaned uh, AA a thousand dollars back in the in 1939 to get the book printed. That would be like twelve, fifteen thousand dollars now. Fitz was one of those giants on whose shoulders we are here today on. So let's examine Fitz Mayo and his story. By the way, if you want more information, is on page two hundred and eight in the fourth edition. And because of its mention here, it's one of the stories that will never be excluded from the book. So. You can learn more. It's called Our Southern Friend. But just for the purposes of here, we're going to go through here and we're going to um, look at what it says. Our friend was a minister's son. He attended church school where he became rebellious at what he thought an overdose of religious education. For years thereafter, he was dogged by trouble and frustration. The trouble and frustration was business failure, insanity, fatal illness, suicide, these calamities in his immediate family embittered and depressed him. His mother came from a family where there was rampant alcoholism. Her father was an alcoholic. Her brother committed suicide and he was an alcoholic. So Fitz had been warned many times by his mother not to drink liquor, that alcoholism was rampant in their family. And what happened was he drank liquor and he was indeed an alcoholic. Post-war disillusionment, ever more serious alcoholism, impending mental and physical collapse brought him to the point of self-destruction. One night when confined at a hospital, that would be the Towns Hospital in New York City, he came into the hospital in 1936. He was approached by an alcoholic who had known a spiritual experience. This would be Bill Wilson. Our friends, Gorge Rose, as he bitterly cried out, if there is a God, he certainly hasn't done anything for me. And how many of us have said that? We're in our homes. We have food in the refrigerator. We have money in the bank or we have a car. We have people who love us. Although sometimes it may not seem that way. And we says, if there's a God, he hasn't done anything for me because he didn't do everything for me. He didn't make me happy and he didn't do this. But if I seek him, he will. But later alone in his room, he asked himself this question. Is it possible 
that all the religious people I have known are wrong? While pondering the answer, he felt as though he lived in hell. Then like a thunderbolt, a great thought came. It crowded out all else. Who are you to say there is no God? Who are you and I to say that there is no God? How dare we say that there is no power greater than ourselves? Did you create Lake Michigan? Did you create the stars and the planets and the moon? Did you create a baby? You may have been the one, but you didn't create them. Did you create puppies and kitties? Did you create the beauty of a sunset? Did you create the beauty of a sunrise? I don't think so. I know I didn't. I know I didn't. And there are people recovering from alcoholism and they're recovering from compulsive overeating and they're living happy, joyous lives, free of this disease, free of the compulsion to compulsively overeat themselves to death. I am one of those people. I am one of those people. There are others here that are in that group as well. If you need help or you're confused, there are people here that would love to help you. There are people here who will give of themselves to help you, not because of any other reason than if they don't, they will not recover. You are not imposing on us. You are not detracting from us. You are making it possible for God to emancipate us one day at a time from this evil corroding disease. The man, this man recounts that he tumbled out of bed to his knees in a few seconds. He was overwhelmed by a conviction of the presence of God. Notice that that's capitalized, the presence of God. And I remember different times in my life when I felt that presence of God. And there, it's a feeling like no other can be. It is a feeling that is unbelievable, unbelievable. Fitz Mayo would go on in his life to found AA in the Washington DC area, Falls Church, Virginia, Alexandria, Virginia, Chevy Chase, Maryland, um, and other places that are Bethesda, Maryland, all those groups in and around Washington, D.C. take their tap root, take their origins from the work that Fitz Mayo did. And look at where he goes from here. It poured over and through him with the certainty and the majesty of a great tide at flood. The barriers he had built through the years were swept away let God sweep those barriers away from you. He stood in the presence of the infinite power and love in capitals. He had stepped from bridge to shore for the first time he lived in conscious companionship with his creator. And that's what we developed. I love the fact that about 15 minutes, 10 minutes before the meetings and sometimes afterwards, I will come on the Zoom 
and we'll kibitz back and forth. There's a group of us that are normally kibitzing back and forth and that group is growing and that's wonderful. And then I go to meetings Monday through Thursday at 5.30, same password, same code as what you use today and six o'clock Sunday. So at six o'clock Sunday, now it's mountain time because Arizona doesn't change its clock, it's mountain time. And then 5.30 Monday through Thursday, mountain time. And we kibitz back and forth. It's a beautiful part of my day. I love it. I look forward to it all day long. It's beautiful. And I love every one of these people. And, and they hopefully love me. It's a beautiful way to live. And this is the kind of companionship that we develop with our creator, with our God. But you have to work at it and you have to work at it. And there's going to be hard times. There's going to be times when things are going to make you doubt that God. Trust me, if you stay the course, you're going to be fine. Very bottom of 56. Thus was our friend's cornerstone fixed in place. No later vicissitude. Vicissitude is an unwelcome change. Has shaken it. His alcoholic problem was taken away. That very night years ago, it disappeared. Save for a few brief moments of temptation, the thought of drink has never returned. Now with Dr. Bob, he did think about drinking. With Fitz Mayo, he never did. Bill Wilson never did. Jimmy Burwell, yes, but Fitz Mayo, no. At such great times, at such times, a great revulsion has risen up in him. He was revolted at the thought of drinking because he had been emancipated spiritually. Abstinence alone will not create that. You have to have abstinence and a spiritual awakening. And the spiritual awakening lowers the level of these emotions so the brain doesn't tell you to go eat food that you shouldn't be eating because it doesn't see the need. It's not in distress. It's very simple and yet it can be difficult. At such time, seemingly he could not drink even if he would. God had restored his sanity. Notice again the word sanity. He didn't say God had restored his, his abstinence. He didn't say God had restored his sobriety. He restored his sanity. Very important sponsors to point that word out because the word sanity is much more open-ended much more high ceiling, much more inclusive of the things in life than just abstinence or sobriety. What is this but a miracle of healing? Yet its elements are simple. Circumstances made him willing to believe. What circumstances made him willing to believe? He was backed up against the wall in a hospital for the treatment of alcoholism. His life was in shambles from alcoholism. He had lost his bookkeeping job. He had lost everything he loved in life to the bottle. I had lost everything or never had anything because of this facoctic disease. He humbly offered himself to his maker, capitalized. Then he knew. Even so has God restored us all to our right mind, sanity. To this man, the revelation was sudden spiritual experience. Some of us grow into it more slowly. I had a spiritual awakening. I continue to have one. 
I develop it over time. I never had a spiritual experience. I never had a spiritual experience. But he has come to all who have honestly sought him. Him is capitalized. When we drew near to him, he disclosed himself to us. Test God. Show God what you can do. Stop waiting for him to prove himself to you. Stop waiting for him to give you the Powerball numbers. Stop waiting for him to, to do his end. Do your steps. Get a sponsor. Put down the food. Put down the food. I'm going to say it one more time. Put down the food. Okay? Test God. See where you can find him lacking. I think the results will blow you away. I hope, it is my hope that this is the last time we have to miss Los Angeles because of anything. I hope that next year we're all together at the OA birthday in LA. And I hope that in October, we will be in Newark, New Jersey for the Vision Convention, which is also a laugh riot, which is also fantastic. And just a hoot and a half. I hope that Corona will not ruin that for any of us. <clears throat> Look at the faces of the people. Look at the faces of the people in recovery. They're not sour pussies. They're not. Test God. See where you can find him lacking. Do the work. See where he's going to fail you. He's not. He's not going to fail you. Karen, you're getting me crazy here. But the other bottom line is, she's, she's hysterical. But the other bottom line is, is this. What have you got to lose? What have you got to lose? Who am I to say there is no God? I've done it my way for a long time. He, you, what a sucky life. Yucky poo-poo, I'm doing it on my own. It really stinks. Now, it is 11.05 my time, and this is the time when I'm, I can't see all of you, but either Sue.